this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Benjamin Singer. Benjamin is the CEO at Show Me Integrity, convening business leaders and concerned citizens in a cross-partisan movement for a more effective, ethical government of, by, and for the people. I love saying those words, Benjamin. Thank you. Thank you, Mish. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having us. So I am really excited and crazy interested in knowing what Show Me Integrity is all about and, and what you're doing. I, I feel, and I believe there are others that feel the same way we do, that what happened? We went so off track. And now what? Yeah, well, I can imagine and sympathize with your listeners when they heard the introduction and are like, oh boy, we get to talk about politics. I hate politics. And I have to agree, I hate politics too. Yes. Uh, and, and that's why we are trying to make it better. Because what has happened, our political system over the last several decades has devolved into extreme factionalism and self-seeking self-interest rather than public service and people working together and collaborating to come up with solutions that serve the best interests of the people. So we are here to live Abraham Lincoln's vision of a government that is truly of the people, by the people, and for the people. And that shouldn't be so much to ask. But it is a lot to ask when we have the broken system that we have. And that's why we are winning reforms for structural solutions to solve the dysfunction and bring people together again. I, it, it's, I mean, it's music to my ears. And you're right. I mean, you know, there's, it's, we've had to kind of, even within our own families, you know, where it's like, we're not talking about politics. This is really like, we're not talking about that. And I know there are a lot of families out there that have dealt with this. Uh, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, we got together for Christmas and I didn't know my brother-in-law was this way. And, whoa, you know, and, and do you think part of it and maybe why it's taken such hold is because, I mean, there's so many things, but part of it is we really are being fed and listen, we're listening to and being shown what appeals to us, which is great for the marketing person, like me as a marketer, how fantastic, because I know how to find the audience that would be interested in this particular product or service, but not so great when we should not listen to just this news program. We should also listen to this news program, but the news program should not even be opinionated. Right. The segmentation of the media is definitely contributing to the problem and the bubbles and algorithms on social media. But what we and, and those are hard things to solve, right? There are profit right. moda, there are profit motives involved. There's people, human nature, which is enjoying confirmation bias and hearing things you already believe and all those things. And it's hard to fight human nature. But what we can do is, you know, one thing that our founders, the founders of the United States of America got right is they understood that human beings are not angels. And they built into the Constitution these checks and balances, as they wrote in the Federalist Papers, that ambition must be made to counteract ambition. Set up these different structures so that people can hold each other accountable is a very elegant, enlightened, structural 
decision. Obviously, there were many compromises, moral compromises that went into the founding of this country as well. Um, so, But what we can do is we can take that structural approach. America is running on democracy 1.0 or 2.0. It's you know, 250 years old, and we need to upgrade the software based on the bugs that have popped up in our code. So when it comes to the, the divisiveness, this is one of the major problems driving the negativity, the self-seeking, the dysfunction. And frankly, there, there's not an incentive to actually do anything positive. There's an incentive to just keep beating up on the other side, raising money, running for office, and not really getting anything done. So that is a problem with our system of voting, where we have these party primaries where you can get elected with, you know, 35% of the vote in the party primary, which has happened both in St. Louis City, St. Louis County, and the state of Missouri, and many other states around the country. For all your listeners across the globe uh, and across this great nation, um, that is a big problem. You know, we had... Um, you know, a mayor who was elected with 32% of the vote in the Democratic primary in St. Louis, which means that she did not have a mandate to govern. This was Lyda Cruston. She did not have a mandate to govern. Uh, she might might have had the most support of any candidate, but there's no way to know. And so when you have 68% of Democrats voting against the winner and Republicans and independents with no voice, um, you know, because the Democratic primary is everything, uh, that is a recipe for dysfunction and divisiveness because the leadership doesn't have a mandate to govern. So it's hard for them to get anything done. And in the meantime, everyone is infighting. And so that's why we changed the system in St. Louis to make it nonpartisan, take out the political games and make it about focusing on the solutions that will actually improve the lives of the people of St. Louis. That was Proposition D for democracy. It created an open nonpartisan primary with approval voting, which means you could vote for as many people as you like, and then the top two go to a runoff. And the beauty of, of nonpartisanship and approval voting is that in usually in the old system, people who were similar, who were running in the same election would become each other's worst enemies. Even though they had the most in common, agreed on the most right. things, they were competing for the same sliver of voters. Yes. So it's turning natural allies even against each other, let alone people who disagree with each other. So literally creating as much divisiveness as possible. Whereas when you can vote for multiple people, like with approval voting, or to some degree with ranked choice voting, it can allow for building coalitions, focusing on what unites us and marshalling public opinion into a mandate to govern and then, and this is critical, accountability for those elected officials, because four years later, or however long their term is, they have to show, I made progress on these issues. They can't just say, I'm the most pro-Trump or I'm the most anti-Trump. Right. They have to say, right. this is what I did for you, and this is why I deserve re-election. So our voting system is a big part of that problem and can be a big part of that solution, which is why we passed it in St. Louis City, defending that right now because a few politicians don't like that and don't want to be held more accountable. So we're marshalling people to protect Proposition D and we're exploring uh, those things at larger levels of government, including the state of Missouri, um, where we've also had people getting elected after getting just 35% of the vote in the Republican primary because it's a you know more right-leaning state. So, but it's the same problem and can be a very similar solution. So 
that's voting. I want to talk about money and politics in a minute, but you know, let's just think big picture. Current system across Missouri, the more extreme ideological partisan you are, the more likely you are to win your primary, the more likely you are to get elected. So literally the less representative you are of the people as a whole, the more likely you are to get elected. So that is a structural problem. And when we talk about the media, as you did, you have a doom loop where those candidates have to keep catering to a smaller and smaller partisan primary base because more and more people are getting turned off. So the structure is a vicious cycle that is getting worse and worse. And that's why we have to take the structural solution that is very possible and voters support, fix that to start reversing that vicious cycle and hopefully turn it into a virtuous cycle where candidates are now incentivized to cater to a broad consensus rather than a narrow divisiveness. Oh my gosh, that's just amazing. That is just amazing. And I'm I'm proud that St. Louis has done this. Yeah, St. Louis is actually a national leader. I I believe I'm, you know, a little biased, but I truly believe that St. Louis has the most representative election system in the United States right now. Ooh, and we're in the middle of the country. It didn't even start on the coast. So that's like really exciting. Like we can span this baby out. So um, I mean. You've been involved in politics. You're like so young. <laughs> I'm I'm older than I look. I'm believe it or not, I'm not that, twelve. You're still I'm really not 12. young, right? Yeah. Um, but you've been involved with politics for a long time. I mean, what what inside you? Where did where what happened that Benjamin went? Yeah, I need to go over here and start working on this. That's exactly how it happened. I was trying to keep my distance from politics because it just seemed so dirty and corrupt and ineffective. Uh, I wanted to focus on making a real difference on the ground. I was working in homelessness. I was working for, I had gone to college in Chicago at Northwestern and I stuck around. Uh, I had made a documentary following four formerly incarcerated drug offenders for a year. Right. They were trying to turn their lives around. And I discovered this organization, a safe haven, um, that was a a wonderful holistic continuum of care, helping people, you know, women who'd been living in abandoned buildings, men who'd been living in their cars, people who'd been in and out of the criminal justice system for decades, kids had been in foster care, totally estranged, seemingly, you know, hopeless, you know, what, what our society treats as throwaway people. We throw them away in prison and just give up hope. But a safe haven was helping people turn their lives around through job training, job, you know, uh, life skills, job placement, permanent affordable housing, people reunited with their kids, living happy, healthy, productive lives, paying their taxes, which, you know, people want to contribute. They want to have purpose in life. And by the way, these leaders of this organization happen to be political conservatives who the, um, one of the two was an alcoholic. Uh, it was in recovery. And they realized if they had a background in business and finance, and they realized if we didn't have money, we would be homeless because of the time that um, th- that co-founder had to stop working and go to rehab and get sober. And so right. they they started this organization as a social enterprise that could to some degree sustain itself. But here's where the problem came in. It also was reliant on some government funding. And the state of Illinois wasn't paying its bills. It had owed a safe haven 
over $2 million for services that had already been performed under contract and were not getting paid. So the state government, long story short, raised the state income tax supposedly to invest in these services that were ultimately saving taxpayers lots more money in the downstream effects of criminal justice, healthcare, foster care, et cetera. But instead of investing this new tax revenue in these services to help people and solve a major problem, you know, substance abuse and mental health is a, you know, a billion dollar problem. Right. They instead, they still cut funding to human services, lost federal matching funds as a result, and gave an $80 million annual tax break to the stock exchange, which had just donated $200,000 to the leading candidate for mayor. And I later found out gives millions of dollars to politicians on both sides of the aisle, local, state, and federal. And when I tell this story, Mish, no one is ever surprised because this is how people are used to seeing politics work or not work. That's the sad thing, right? You're Mm -hmm. not surprised. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that happening. And that's what makes my heart just break. We should be going, "Oh, oh, hell no. Right. And people are resigned to the the idea that this is how the system has to work. When you look at the polling, 90% of Republicans, Democrats, independents agree that money in politics is a big problem. But also in that polling, you'll see that 90% of people believe that change is not possible. But we as Show Me Integrity are here to give people hope and not baseless hope because these solutions, there are solutions and they are passing in cities, counties, and states, red, blue, and purple across the country. And we're to, here to bring those solutions to Missouri, not just to give people more faith in government, but to actually make government work for the people um, and not be uh, corrupt and ineffective at delivering solutions for um, you know average voters who can't contribute $200,000 to their candidate for mayor or governor. Um, And so that is a solution that we are exploring for St. Louis County uh, called Honest Elections. And we're really excited about that. And if people are interested in transforming how money in politics works, we'd love to get them involved at showmeintegrity.org. So, and that's so true because money is, right? It's follow the money and you start going, oh, yeesh, no wonder this is this way, you know? And instead of money being used to, for the people, right? It's it's used in other ways that, that really only help this very select few. Exactly. How... To me, I think one of the, the, the things I keep thinking about is how do we change the landscape, the, the mind landscape of people? You know, is this part of it that so many people have this, it's, well, it's about me, 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 and me, 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 as opposed to this might cost me more money right now in taxes, but if this money is going to be used to do these great things, that helps my community? Like, how do we get people to get out of their memes, the I, you know, and the we, get into the we? How do we get into the we? And is, is, is the, the idea that you have by, you, by putting these things in place, we start to open up those minds to go we? Absolutely. I, I think a big part of the problem is the structures, the way they're set up, incentivize people to just look for that short-term personal gain because that's really Mm -hmm. all that's possible under the current system. 
uh, we need a totally different system if it's going to be something that truly works for the collective good. So I can't blame people, whether they're politicians, donors, or voters, for operating in a very narrow, short-term self-interest uh, mindset, because that's that's what it incentivizes. We right. have to change the incentives for anyone who took, you know, intro to econ. It's all about incentives. And right now, whether it's voting and catering to the extreme and being as polarizing as possible, or it's money and just raising a lot of money from a few people, you know, the more unrepresentative you are, the more likely you are to get elected or get your interest represented. And, and that's why we work on fixing that broken system. So with, uh, you know, if we depolarize it and we also change the, the greed incentives in politics, you might be surprised to find out that a lot of people across the spectrum, at least from, you know, center left to center right, actually agree on a lot of things. I, I have a feeling they do. Right? I think we agree on much more than we know. It's true. And actually, I should even say even the far left and the far right actually agree on a lot of things in terms of a, a distrust of authority and, and a, a wanting stuff to work for the little guy, not just, you know, the, the wealthy and powerful. So I, I think we generally all share a lot of those same values. So when you reshape the, the dialogue and the incentives in place, we're going to find those solutions. I was talking with um, a Republican recently who's one of our supporters. And he said, look, I don't want someone to come out and say, we have to double taxes on the wealthy. But if they said, look, we might have to raise taxes a little bit in order to invest more in better education and better schools for our community, that's something we can get behind. And so this idea that if you're on the left, you just want you know, to tax all the income, or if you're on the right, you want no taxes, you know, it's just, it's a false dichotomy um, where people people are do want a fair system. They do want a competitive system. They do want um, dialogue and compromise and people to work together. People are yearning for that love. Your podcast is all about kindness and people are yearning for that. And that's why like, it's very easy to be hateful and negative in politics. You know, Running a campaign based on fear and hate is an easy thing to do. And that's why so many people do it. But right. the, the politicians who rise above you know, the generational talents of communicators like Ronald Reagan and Barack Obama are people who communicated optimism and hope and something greater than fear and negativity. Oh, and that, and we so need more of that. And you're right. It's like people aren't going to mind the taxes if, and then the accountability comes in, right? So here is what I use the taxes for and this worked. You know, like the, this is this made things better, you know, where I I sometimes feel like, what are my taxes paying for? You know, you find yourself doing that right up every year around April. And you're like, well, what the hell am I? What is this? What is this for? Is this really been doing the, you know, <laughs> what they said it was going to do? So I love the accountability factor. Exactly. Every and everyone wants that, it, you know, we, we talk about process a lot, and that can sound boring to some people, but really people yearn for a fair process. That's all people yes. really want. Even if their opinion is not fully implemented at the end of the day, they at least want to feel heard and they want to have a fair process. And that's why on the Clean Missouri campaign, which I was the communications director of in 2018, when I joined that campaign, they had already printed these great stickers, which were the shape of Missouri. And they said, my voice matters, yours does too. I love that. So let me ask you this. 
there are so many systems within the government that are also very broken. And one that comes to mind that I've personally dealt with in Missouri was the children's division. Honestly, I dealt with them in Jefferson County and I thought, you guys are really corrupt, you know? Um, and, you know, there, and I got to imagine, unless you've had dealings with these different systems or you hear other people talk about, well, I'm, you know, you name it. It feels like there's so many broken systems out there. So by fixing this, like the things you're working to fix right now is the hope that that spans it now that like that, that starts to tentacle out to all these other systems that are not really serving people well. Exactly right. I'm glad you brought that up because ultimately it's the real world issues that directly affect people's lives in positive or negative ways. Those are the things that are not going to get fixed if we don't fix the underlying accountability structures. So right now there's just basically no incentive to pay attention to those day-to-day problems in the administration of government because they're campaigning on the most divisive issues. The incentives are campaign on the things that most differentiate you from your opponent, uh, guns, abortion, you know, the the usual divisive things we're used to hearing over right. the last several decades and nothing ever gets done. Um, but when it comes to the children's division or the courts or fines and fees or, uh, you know, streets or trash, you know, we have to have we have to have an incentive for people to cater to a common sense uh, base of mo- a larger swath of the electorate based on things that matter to everyone, like better administration of these government services, because right now they're left to to waste, to entropy and to not be run well because there's no accountability. I worked in government for some time in local government. And what I loved is that the way the office was run and the politician who was responsible for leading the office, you know, was, it was professional. We weren't hiring political cronies, people who worked on the campaign to do things they weren't qualified to do, which is what I'm used to seeing um, in in government and in local and state government uh, a lot of times in Missouri. Um, you know, the person who was running IT came from corporate IT. The person running accounting uh, CFO came from an, a corporate accounting background. The person who was running the parking division was recruited from who had run the largest state parking facility in the state of California and was recruited to come do that in St. Louis. So like, not brother, sister, and my good friend. Exactly. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> they, they were. That's- that's a good thought. Yeah, they were qualified people. So, um, and that's how government should run. We should hire people who yes. know what they're who know what they're doing, have expertise, and are committed to excellence and are held accountable. And we need to have accountability for the politician at the top. That if they don't do a good job, then buck stops with them. And it, if something's not working, they know that they need to fix the problem, whether that's changing personnel or changing policies, because they're going to face the voters a couple of years later, and they're going to need to answer for that. Um, And so these solutions that incentivize accountability, both by changing the voting system and changing money in politics, we can do that. I should mention, people are really skeptical that we could ever change money in politics. So I'll mention one way this works. The simplest way the solution actually works is every registered voter gets four $25 vouchers that they can give to candidates who are actually running to represent them, their district, their city, their state, whatever level of government you put it in. 
And if candidates want access to these small donations from their actual voters, not lobbyists, not special interests, only people who are registered to vote in that area, they have to swear off big money and they have to agree to a whole set of things that limit their beholdenness to big money special interests. So they have to only be accountable to the essentially the vouchers being given by their constituents. And it returns that power to voters. It, it uses oh money. Oh my gosh, that's Brilliant. Yeah, it uses money in politics to it, it changes the way money in politics works to make it again all about just the voters so that it's one person, one vote uh, instead of one dollar, one vote. And so well, it's it a, a simple solution that empowers you, right? Because mm-hmm. you really do feel like, you know, I miss feel like disempowered because I don't have millions of dollars that I can go give and to support this candidate and also be going, by the way, I'm giving you this money and I want free Starbucks every day delivered to my house. You know, <laughs> I mean, so you know what I'm saying though? I mean, I'm yeah. making fun, but you know, um, it, I love that. I feel like just that gives people the, the, like, I do need to vote. I, my voice can be heard. I mean, that really changes the landscape. Absolutely. Uh, that, and that's a big part of it. You know, well, someone wise once said the quickest way we give up our power is by believing that we don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell us how it I mean, you guys are not for profit. That's right. You are looking for volunteers and help. So how do people get involved and what kind of help are you looking for right now? That's right. Whether you live in St. Louis City, St. Louis County, or the state of Missouri, or even elsewhere, um, you know, we need those volunteers to help us win these campaigns, talk to voters, go door to door, educate people, and get them to turn out and vote for these solutions that we're putting on the ballot. We're gathering signatures and putting these reforms on the ballot, going straight to voters. We don't have to make compromises with politicians or special interests along the way. We're writing great policy, usually guided by our volunteer base who helps make decisions on what's going to be in that policy. And then we're winning these at the ballot box. So we need people to uh, sign up at showmeintegrity.org, help us volunteer, make calls, donate, write letters to the editor. Um, We're running a lot of campaigns. There's a lot of challenges to our democracy and a lot of important um, struggles that we are winning both proactively and reactively. Sometimes we have to. So um, we have to protect our statewide ballot initiative process. We have to improve the way we vote statewide. Uh, We have to improve St. Louis County government and we have to defend our wins that have been incredibly uh, successful in the city and pass another initiative on the ballot in the city. So it's a lot to keep track of, but if you just sign up at showmeintegrity.org, we'll let you know on a regular basis what the most impactful things that you can do are. And we'd love to have you with us. We are a government. We are a movement of, by, and for the people, and we can't do it without the people. And that is the honest truth. I love it. Oh my God. This is so great. So I have some, I'm going to take us off track a little bit because I want to know more about Benjamin. Are you oh, ready? Thanks, Mish. You, you alluded to this, but I want you to talk a little bit more because you talked about um, being a filmmaker and the documentary you made, which is called The Throwaway War. And, you know, I mean, what what was that like to put? I and mean, that's a, that's its own business, making a documentary. People I don't think people get that each documentary film is actually its own business. 
It's true. Talk about that experience. It was a great learning experience, not only about filmmaking, like you said, um, but also about life. So I was actually still in college when I made this film. Uh, we got a grant and went out and uh, put together a great team and found these subjects with these compelling stories to show through real people's eyes what it's like to try to turn your life around from addiction um, and get back on your feet and live a, live a happy life. And it's a big struggle for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the addiction and mental health issues that you know people have to face in themselves, and then also the social and legal barriers that are in people's way as they're trying to put their life back together. And so it's very instructive. Um, you know, part of it was talking about some of the government policies that don't work so well, um, but also you know it just showed how much addiction and 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 drugs can um, harm people's lives. So. Uh, yeah, one of the most impactful moments I remember was actually before we even really started shooting was I was talking with this woman who's in the film named Chandra. And I'm a you know 19-year-old kid at Northwestern University. And Chandra was working in this program for the Chicago Transit Authority where ex-offenders um, can get these like low-paid hourly jobs working on the L on the Chicago Transit Authority. Um, and if it goes well, they ultimately get hired for a, you know, real full-time, whatever, full-paid job at the CTA. And at that moment in Chandra's life as a middle-aged woman, her greatest dream was to be a train operator on the CTA. That was a huge hope that she had, you know, a, a realistic goal for her to help put her life back together and have that purpose, have that routine, that income. And as a 19-year-old, you know, college student with grand dreams for my life and what I wanted to achieve in the world. That was a big reality check for me on my privilege and, um, and different situations people are in and working through for their own lives. Um, so I think learning about life was even a bigger aspect than, yeah, running that documentary as a business, learning about music licensing, learning about distribution, you know, the film festival circuit and all of that. Um, it was more probably because of where I was in life. And then I ultimately decided not to pursue filmmaking full time. Um, it was, a, it was a life learning experience. But yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's really important to show, which is a big part of why I love doing what I do with TEDx is it's showing other perspectives. It's let's look at life through this person's eyes, you know? Um, okay. So I want to know your last name is Singer. Are you a singer? And did you sing at the Muni? <laughs> so, yes, I was in a few shows at the Muni. Uh, I was in the kids chorus and the teen chorus. Uh, we we're unpaid child labor because, <laughs> you know, what kid doesn't want to, you know, in the summer for a week or two, you know, go be in a professional musical and we're willing oh, to do it for free. And it's so smart of the Muni too, because then all the families come out and, you know, see and fan, and friends come out and see those kids and teens for like a week. So it's great marketing. Uh, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. And uh, so I'm actually more of a dancer. I have a, a dance background. I did 14 years of ballet, tap and jazz. Oh my um, gosh. I wish I were as good a singer as I am a dancer. Unfortunately, I'm not. Part of it is I'm a, a low bass. So I can't sing the, you know, the melodies, the tenor parts. I was in a couple acapella groups in college, you know, in the background going doom, doom, doom. 
that kind of stuff. So I'm relegated relegated to the background when it comes to my singing abilities. Well, what was your favorite musical that you were in or whatever was at the Muni at the time? Oh, man. I loved being in a chorus line, um, Fiddler on the Roof, and actually Godspell. I'm Jewish, and it was funny. I was in Godspell and Fiddler on the Roof, a Christian musical. Oh, there you go. Those are two of my favorites. I grew up Catholic, so I get it. (laughs) Yeah, very different. A good musical is a good musical, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was a great experience, and I'm grateful to the Muni for giving that opportunity to me and so many other kids and teens in the community. Very cool. All right. So this one will be easy for you to answer, but just top of mind, um, what have you witnessed or given or received when it comes to kindness? Oh my God. Well, other than every time I talk to you, Mish, and feeling Um, so much love and (laughs) kindness. um, Part of moving back to St. Louis and moving back to Missouri was I had often taken my family so much for granted. Growing up here with uh, lots of extended family, I never really appreciated how lucky I was to have that. Um, So after living in Chicago for about 10 years, including college and then New York for a couple of years, I learned to appreciate St. Louis for everything that the region has to offer. It's just such a wonderful place to live and work but also because I wanted to get to know my family better, my aunts, uncles, cousins, and I wanted to spend more time with my mom and dad. Um, And fortunately, I've had the opportunity to do so. Uh, Growing up, family was a little stressful, but, you know, at this point in life, uh, I'm grateful to have those stronger relationships, partly as a result of, of moving back here. So that love that I'm able to give and receive from my family is something that definitely sustains me. No, that's awesome. And we're happy you moved back here. Thanks, Mish. Me too. I'm so grateful to have gotten to meet you and for all the wonderful community building and connections and and warm relationships and ties that you're building for our region. Oh my gosh. It's been fun. And it was fun to see you at the last TEDx and run around town, getting you to your car. (laughs) (laughs) Parking was difficult. For, for, for that particular event. And so, yeah, after like, I'll take you to your car. But not too difficult. There's plenty of parking. Everyone come on down, go to the TED that Talks. That is so true. It was it just was, the issue of one parking garage that is going to open. So it was just, that was the thing during yeah. that time. But, but it's but so easy to park in St. Louis compared to I know what people see on the news. And I live downtown, right? And, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, I, and when I hear people are like, oh, gosh aren't you scared? Like, no, I am not sitting around afraid every night because I live downtown. If you live down here, it's different than what you think. So yes, it is an urban area. I don't care where in the world you are. Urban areas are going to be a little bit different than living out in suburbs and country. And you do have to, you know, practice your awareness and such, but downtown St. Louis, there's a lot of amazing things going on down here. There are a lot happening. The soccer stadium's going in. Jim McKelvey bought the um, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch building and the square is going in there. I mean, there is a lot of activity down here. Washington is starting to pop back up with new, I've been noticing like, there's a new shop. There's a new restaurant. So it's happening. It is happening. Everyone should check it out. I will say as someone who grew up in Chesterfield and now lives in U-City, close to the border with the city, 
um, you know, I love going into the city. I love the food. It's the parking is easy and super cheap. It's like a dollar fifty per it's hour. It's so cheap to park and, in yeah. else. and it's easy. You know, it's easy to find parking. I mean, I lived in New York for some time. I mean, good luck doing anything there. Oh, it's no so kidding. hard to get around. So yeah, it's easy to get to the city. It's fun. I've never felt unsafe. So um, I, our region has a lot to offer. Whether you're in Chesterfield or downtown or you know, Alton, Illinois. So people should explore all over the region. I love it. Well, thank you, Benjamin. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we reconnected and we got to do this podcast together. Thank you, Mish. I appreciate you and everything that you do. Oh, same here, sir. It's, it's, this is, I love what you're doing. I, I'm so excited by it. I just think it's fantastic and greatly needed. So thank you. Well, we're grateful for the awareness and the education. And yeah, we should get you involved. All right. All right. All right. I'm signing up. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. For everyone out there, you've been listening to Mishmash. And don't forget, kindness, kindness, little tiny bits of kindness go a long way. So just, just go for it and do it and be loving to all the people around you. We all need it, especially with everything going on. So thank you and love you all. Bye. Thank you.